0: Fallon Forum, where we bring you progressive voices from America's heartland. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa. Before I give you the rundown on today's lineup, let's take a second to thank some of the local business partners who make this program possible. Uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's my grocery store. They're open seven days a week, and the cafe is also open seven days a week for lunch and supper and for breakfast on the weekends. Limited dine-in service, or you can order using Gateway's takeout service. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis, offering planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance homes and buildings. Architecture by Synthesis specializes in environmentally friendly designs, including highly insulated structures made from grain bins. That's Architecture by Synthesis. All right, later in the program... We're going to be talking about why Democrats have lost rural America and working class voters with Charles Goldman. Charles will also join us for a conversation about how Iowa's governor and several other governors around the country have been dutifully following President Trump down the rabbit hole. And um, I also want to talk about the um, an anti-meat crusade that has become kind of interesting because part of it involves becoming anti-local, which uh, is confusing to me. We'll talk about that. And then... For the final segment, Kathy Burns will join us. We're going to talk about a New Year's resolution suggestion, Waste Less Wantless. Want less. There we go. But first, I'm really happy to welcome Hannah Bacon to the program. Hannah is walking across the country for climate action. She just got done with California, is in Arizona, and um, I think is doing okay. Hello, Hannah. How are you?
1: Hey, Ed. I'm great. How are you?
0: We're doing well. We're we're covered with snow up here, and I imagine you're in slightly warmer country.
1: (laughs) Yeah, slightly. Windy, beautiful, sunny, but it's nice to hear about the snow, just to get my mind out of the (laughs) desert.
0: Okay, well, we're happy to help you out there. So you started um, from the Pacific Ocean, I believe.
1: I did from San Clemente State Beach.
0: Yeah, and um, your motivation, I mean, you, you're from the East Coast. You're from, I believe, Connecticut?
1: Mm-hmm, that's right.
0: But you, you flew to the West Coast and um, then had kind of an aha moment and decided you would walk home, and I don't think I'm overstating that, correct?
1: <laughs> correct, yeah. It was
0: so what was, that exactly aha, what was that aha moment all about?
1: Well, um, I came out here to visit some friends that used to live in Santa Cruz, California, and I had all the intentions in the world of just flying back after two weeks, but I was reading The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace-Wells while I was on the plane out there, and I was having um, a lot of feelings about my carbon footprint, and then I landed kind of distraught about the impact of my cross-country travels over the years. And I was hiking in Santa Cruz by myself, and really it just, it just hit me that I decided i didn't
0: want to fly anymore, and that I would walk. So yeah, you picked a you picked um, an interesting book to read on the flight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so you're you're planning to walk the entire way, mm-hmm. and then finish uh, where on the East Coast?
1: Virginia Beach.
0: Okay. Wow. Yeah. And, and that should take you, I'm guessing, six seven months.
1: Yeah. I. You know. I was thinking about six, but just now after going through California and taking a few more off days and expected probably more like seven.
0: Yeah. And tell, tell us about the walk across California. Um, I know if you've been walking at certain times of the year, you might have been running into fire.
1: Yeah. Well, I was lucky to not run into fire, but I did run into fire damage. So um, I had plans of going on some trails in the San Bernardino National Forest, but Some of those were closed because of fire damage, which had created some sinkholes along the trail. I guess the roots of trees have burned out, creating some pretty dangerous terrain. So I had to reroute there um, and try to find, you know, like while you're on the road, trying to find the best route. Um, But it it was mostly road, but it was beautiful. And I met a lot of great people just along the way.
0: Yeah, and uh, you've—I um, mean, again, part of your goal is to—but you're trying to raise funds for the Sunrise Movement, which is great. You're also trying to raise awareness as you walk. How is uh, yeah. how is how are both of those goals coming along?
1: Well, the fundraising is going great. I wasn't sure what to set as a goal when I started out doing this. This is my first time really doing any fundraising, so I set the goal to ten thousand and. We're just shy of 9,000 um, as of earlier today when I wow. last checked. So, yeah, that's going great, and I guess I will have to increase the goal thing as uh, <laughs> less than a month in.
0: Right. So and, yeah. Has, uh, has the Sunrise Movement been uh, supportive of your walk?
1: You know, I haven't really um, heard a lot from them. When I first started doing this, I reached out, and they were really excited. Um, but they're really busy getting – other things going they're really focusing right now on trying to get deb holland to, to be the secretary of the interior right. so um you know they they have a full load going on
0: and how about in terms of outreach along the way have you had uh have, have you been able to do some uh interviews uh giving giving some talks
1: i've had a few interviews yeah since since this whole idea kind of came on so quickly out of nowhere for me I didn't have a lot of time to schedule outreach beforehand, but um, when I was walking through Joshua Tree area, the 29 Palms uh, local paper came out and did a quick interview, and then the Yucca Valley TV heard about it and did a quick interview, so that was great. Um, So I think that the more people hear about it, the more sort of interviewing and media is going to come up along the way.
0: Now you're, uh, you're walking a very different route than, than I walked with the uh, Great March for Climate Action, except for mm-hmm. the segment you're currently on. And, uh, yeah. I think you stayed at a place that uh, we stayed at that was, um, very memorable for me. And that was the glass outhouse.
1: Oh yes. It was amazing.
0: Yeah. What was yeah. that like?
1: It was incredible. And thank you so much for putting me in touch with them, with Laurel, the owner. Um, yeah, just the coolest, funkiest, in the best way, artsy place you could imagine in the middle of the desert. Really unexpected because there's kind of nothing else around. So when you're going by, it's just desert land. And then all of a sudden, you see bikes sticking out of the sand and <laughs> cool glass sculptures and just the. And, and a glass
0: outhouse. Which is and a, a glass outhouse. Which is a little yes. unnerving.
1: It is. It is, but it's a totally functional, and I found that you you can see out when you're in it, but you can't see in.
0: Yeah, but just still unnerving. <laughs> it
1: is. Yeah, so, you're kind of looking around. So speaking wondering. of
0: speaking of unnerving, you um r- the glass outhouse is kind of the last uh, last uh, friendly space at the edge of the world before you plunge <laughs> into the uh, Mojave Desert, which is a hundred maybe 125 miles of of a desert. Uh, There's, there's no services, no homes out there.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. What was walking across that like?
1: Um, it was, it was intense, as you know, from crossing it yourself. And I called, well, I called you, you know, beforehand just to, to talk it out and see what it was like. And, um, I was really concerned about doing it by myself. So, I also appreciate that encouragement because after talking to you, I was inspired to find someone to do it with me. Um, And that definitely made it more bearable because it it gets to your head a little bit, just being out there with nothing around, especially if you're not a desert dweller natively. Yeah. So definitely helpful to have someone with me. Um, But a lot of cool desert wildlife I got to learn about from my new friend, Travis who has a hiking business called Wandering Mojave.
0: Yeah. Um, he taught me a lot about the desert while we were out there. So uh, how are you feeling about the uh, the situation regarding climate change these days? I mean, I think for those of us concerned about climate change, um, I'm, this will be an understatement, but I, I think we weren't real um, impressed with the Trump administration. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we have a change of guard in Washington, D.C. now. How do you, do you have... Um, do you have some hope, some optimism based on that, or you, you you think we're going to go back to the status quo in business as usual?
1: Um, I am very hopeful, considering that there's going to be a climate administration. So that in and of itself is um, very hopeful. I think that the work that Sunrise Movement is doing, and I'm sure other organizations as well, to make sure that there's the right sort of people on the administration. I know it's going to be headed by John Kerry. Um, that'll be important but i am very hopeful and i think that it's going to take everyone from government down trickle down to be doing everything that they can and the fact that there's going to be a climate administration at all i think is a really great way to set the tone going into the next four years of biden so yeah i am hopeful
0: good well and Um, we're hopeful by we are inspired and feeling hopeful by what you're doing it's a big commitment and uh, I know from experience that you will have plenty of contact along the way with people who might not have been thinking about climate change until they ran into somebody walking the walk anyway I really uh, really impressed with your effort and folks if you want to get in touch with Hannah Bacon I know there are several ways to do that what do you recommend Hannah?
1: Yeah, you can go to my website, which is milesforclimate.org. And from there, there's a reach out page. You can contact me and also Miles Climate on Instagram.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Hannah. Folks, we've been talking with Hannah Bacon walking across the country for climate action. When we come back from a short break, Charles Goldman is going to join us. We're going to talk about why Democrats have lost rural America and working class voters. And can they get them back in a minute here on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
2: It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. At East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open Monday through Saturday for dine in, patio seating, curbside pickup, and carry out. Hawk also serves fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at Hawktable.com. That's H O Q table.com.
0: Back to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you progressive voices from America's heartland. Ed Fallon, your host here. Thanks to our business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's my grocery store, open seven days a week. The cafe is also open seven days a week for lunch and supper and for breakfast on the weekends. Limited dine in service, or you can order using Gateway's takeout service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Noche Jazz and Cabaret, located in downtown Des Moines. Noche features both national acts and local performers, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Tina haas Findlay and Nick Leo. And Noche offers a cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. You can catch many of the performances on Noche's live stream, and the owners have done a great job at making sure their setup works in protecting visitors, musicians, and staff during the COVID-19 pandemic. That's Noche, Jazz, and Cabaret. All right, uh, welcome back to the program. Uh, Charles Goldman's with us again. Hello, Charles. How are you doing today?
3: And how's it going? So, Noche does believe that there's a pandemic going on?
0: You know, there's a few people who seem to believe there's a pandemic going on. What do you think, doctor?
3: <laughs> well, I think it's obvious there is one, of course.
0: Okay. And uh, at some point, I want to get your, in- in- your-, your input on the uh, vaccine. Uh, Sure. Yeah, well, all right. Since we brought it up, what's your input on the vaccine?
3: (laughs) Well, (laughs) I I think that, um, you know, we're not going to see the effect of vaccination in terms of allowing people to feel more comfortable out and about till the middle of next year. Um, At that point, there'll be a number of vaccinations out as well as more people have been infected. So we'll be getting closer and closer to that point where we get a a certain amount of herd immunity coupled with the fact that, as we saw in the spring and the summer, the fact that people can distance outside really drops the transmission of the virus. Um, You know, as to the specifics of this vaccination, um, I I think you have to be very cautious. The number that's out there is that 95 percent affected this number. But the number of people who actually got sick in the placebo group, remember this was about 22, about 19,000 people, um, was only about 200 people. And it's absolutely true that the uh, number of people who got sick with COVID in the vaccination group was 95% less, but um, you know, for comparison, if you're taking a flu vaccination, you need to vaccinate 30 people to prevent one case of the flu. If you're taking the COVID vaccination at that kind of level of infection, uh, you'd have to vaccinate over 250 people to prevent one um, infection in a population group. Now, healthcare workers in nursing homes, it would be less because the likelihood of getting COVID would be much higher than the group they studied. You know, As to the side effects, um, these sound so far like pretty typical vaccination side effects uh fevers some allergic reactions you know pain in the injection site uh there's all kinds of weird stuff out on the internet about inducing transhumanism where the messenger rna is going to intercalate with our dna which of course is not possible um and you mean you mean the stuff
0: you mean the stuff on the internet about the coronavirus is not accurate
3: well, particularly, you know, vaccination is a very, very, you know, heavily weighted issue on the Internet. Right. And um, and the newness of the vaccination, the speed with, with which it was done, the fact that it's an RNA vaccination, which really all the ones we're familiar with are either bacterial or uh, they're vi- you know, DNA viruses. So um, it, it is new territory. Yeah, and And that makes people nervous. I
0: mean, people are right to be concerned about such...
3: Yeah, they are, Uh, but I think that if you're in a place which the risk is high, uh, and it's not just about dying from COVID, you don't want to become a long hauler. You know, there's people who are continuing to have symptoms months after um, they've gotten over the infection, and we have no idea how long they're going to perpetuate, you know, have those symptoms. Right. So... um,
0: Hey, well let's uh I, I know that the uh, coronavirus has become somewhat of a, a political issue which never should have but uh, something that something that definitely is a political issue is the uh, the Democratic Party's inability to have any relevance in rural communities anymore and uh, for the most part uh, more and more find themselves more and more in trouble with uh, working- class voters uh, you know we've had conversations about this and I, I you know, I'd appreciate your, your take on it, uh, Charles, because it just seems like the Democratic Party is going in the wrong direction and 2022 is going to be um, not a pretty sight for Democrats.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that where the, the the message of the Democrats is been clouded by the fact that they listen to the Republicans way too much, you know, the Republicans tell them no class warfare uh you know that's not the american way uh that uh what they're talking about is socialist and the democrats cannot make a coherent case to say they should spend all their time railing against income inequality in this country it is it is a level that has never been seen in this country before every time a republican talks about the stock market a democrat needs to ask the American people needs to turn to the camera and say, how many of you have any stake in the stock market?
0: But see, the Democrats and, won't because the, the, the Democratic Party, I think, has now become the other party of the powerful and rich. And they're just uh, as much tied to stocks as the Republicans are.
3: I, I would say that they are as linked in reality because of the need for money to campaign but the they have no capability of doing what the Republicans do, which is the Republicans say, look over here, isn't this social issue really important to you? You know, and the Republicans, you know, sort of uh, do Kabuki theater with with the abortion issue and guns, and then they throw in you know the Bible and other things for good measure. I mean, you know, we've had a complete turnaround in this country about how we see religious freedom. Religious freedom used to be keeping the government out of the practice of, of religion in this country. Now it's about protecting Christianity from the impeachment, supposedly, of uh, the non-God-fearing other religions. And the Democrats are—their their message is, is, can't be this, this milk toast centrist message. Uh, by the same token, you can't keep beating people over the head with, you're a racist— if you're not hundred percent down with the ideas of black lives matter you know and their message is muddled they need to go out there and say there is no future in re- recapitulating the economy of the early nineteen hundreds we need to look forward this is what we are going to do this is how we are going to support you until you can go and retrain to do other things this is what we should have done during COVID, which was instead of paying corporations money, we should have just simply guaranteed everybody an income in the country, whether they have a job with unemployment insurance or not. So if you're sick, you stay home. You know, they need, you need, we need to be, the the Democrats need to be a party of bigger ideas. And, and any time that a Republican calls them a socialist, they should stand up and say, yes, and we are damn proud of it.
0: Oh, see, I see. I, I agree with everything you said until that last line. I don't think... Uh... I don't think the S-word is ever going to play well in mainstream America.
3: Well, because you need to explain that socialism, first of all, only works when you have a uh, a communal belief system. In fact, socialism is an economic system in which you have much more widespread agreement among the citizens than we do right now in this country. That doesn't, that, that, that doesn't matter. Based it's based on
0: exploitation. But that doesn't matter, Charles. The word socialism has become toxic. I mean, it's-, that's it's because,
3: That is because, you again, they're being told that. But most of the people who grew up in the 1950s are, di- are dead or dying, all right? So this whole link that between communism and socialism, Yes, there are certain groups in this country where socialism equals communism and it's bad. We already found that out because the the Hispanic population coming from places like Venezuela like Cuba, that's right. They don't want to hear socialism. You get but you have to stop running your campaign based on the idea that you're going to not in some, if you see if you stand for something, there's going to be some people who are not going to agree with you.
0: Yeah, but I th- I think I, think, I mean you. what we're really talking about is 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 an economic message that includes People who are struggling and that, that's not just that's not just minority communities in, in urban settings, it's also a lot of rural communities, a lot of predominantly in, white rural working class communities that feel left well, we, behind.
3: We've, we, right. We've talked about this, you know, we talked about this on on when we had the Zoom, you know, get together, which is it's not really about racism. It's it's changing people to identify with their economic class, which then brings together as allies anyone who has been exploited by this system, which means the people in your economic strata now, what color they are, also understand that those people who are struggling are not going to have a liberal's view, a liberal from San Francisco's view of immigration. They're not going to see immigration in the same way that the intelligentsia and the elites see it, because they do see the people coming across the border as a threat to their employment and to right. their ability to make what poverty-level wages we allow in this country. So we have to stop with this, this you know, uh, and Obama was just as guilty of this. How many more people from the Ivy League schools do we need in the government? You know, when, when are we going to have people in the government who got educated in community colleges followed by state schools?
0: Would that be Donald you know? Trump?
3: <laughs> well, he was no—he was not. He, he went from Fordham to UP to University of Pennsylvania. That's an Ivy League school. I understand he was probably the worst student. But <laughs> no, I mean, I, I I really do think that we have to stop being afraid to say certain things that are going to put off certain voters. Because really, the message of of twenty twenty is there was enough people in the United States who really, really hated Donald Trump that he's no longer going to be president. But every other place up and down that ballot, they turn to the Republicans. Right. Well, and, you
0: know, we can talk more about this. I've w- I got to run to a short break, and I know we want to talk about um, Governor Reynolds, and there are certainly other Republican governors around the country who are kind of following Donald Trump down the rabbit hole, and uh, we're seeing that that may not be working out very well you know, on a number of levels. Uh, stick with us, Charles. We'll be back in a minute. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at Emil King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas-Findley. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Again, bringing you progressive voices from America's heartland. We're broadcasting from Des Moines here, and this is your host, Ed Fallon. Support for this program comes from a lot of folks, including Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines' East Village. That's spelled H-O-Q. At Hawk, 90% of the food served comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. Hawk is open Monday through Saturday for dine-in, curbside pickup, and carry-out. You can get more information at Hawk. That's H-O-Q, Thanks also to Bold Iowa, founded in 2015 to build rural-urban coalitions to address climate change and to prevent the abuse of eminent domain and protect Iowa's soil, air, and water. Bold Iowa is committed to using peaceful, nonviolent means to push for change. More information at boldiowa.com. All right, welcome back to the program. Charles Goldman is still with us, folks. We can't seem to get rid of this guy. Charles, um... <laughs> So, uh, you know, Governor Reynolds has been, it seems to me, and a lot of people, just kind of going along with, the, with, with Trump's, um, Trump as the conductor. She's a member of the orchestra, whether it comes to lawsuits relevant to the election or how you handle the COVID crisis. Uh, she seems to be following his playbook. And um, from my perspective, that does not seem to be going very well for her or for Iowa.
3: Well, I think um, clearly in terms of of how she handled the pandemic, her policies have just been uh, as incoherent as Trump's have been. Now, I guess my question to you, Ed, would be, what should have been the primary goal in terms of policy toward COVID on the the part of the governor?
0: To um, provide... Clear direction as to how we can minimize the spread, um, and uh, you know, and, and you, do well. the, you do that. You do that. I mean, and there is there. I understand. There's there's um, there's a uh, the, 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 it's a delicate balance. I, I, I get that. I get the delicate balance thing. I just think that it makes a lot more sense uh, in in terms of supporting businesses and communities to take a hard fast stop to activity in order to minimize the spread. That to me seems like, I mean, I I think we have enough anecdotal information now to make it clear that is the best approach.
3: Right. I mean, I, I think that the, uh, especially after the lockdowns of the spring, that the fulcrum of all of this was to keep schools open. Um, and the only way to keep schools open was to minimize community spread. So, we, we know that when you, when, you, when you survey people who have gotten COVID, there are five places or five events that are highly associated with eventually getting COVID. One would be going to restaurants, especially those that don't have outdoor dining, bars, gyms, large gatherings. So those would be four. I'm trying to remember the fifth at this point.
0: Trump rallies.
3: But... Trump Trump rallies, right. Yeah, Yeah. so, uh, right, so, I mean, yeah, any large assembling, even if it's outside where there's no social distancing. So that should have been the goal, because you're you're reaping reaping the results of her not wanting to shut down any businesses and support them through this so that the unemployment figures would stay down. And now it turns out that after all of this effort and 40% positivity on recent testing, um, Iowa's in the middle of the pack. It is low; it's very low on unemployment, but in terms of lost economic activity, it's basically in the middle of the pack. It did no better, in fact, it worse than many blue states, w- blue states where the lockdown was continued or the restrictions were continued at a much higher level.
0: Well, I believe in so, terms of in terms of deaths per per, per you know, as a percentage of population, we, South Dakota, we, yeah, Iowa, we, Nebraska, North Dakota, we're the that's highest. Correct.
3: But but part of that, part of that too, is we're an elderly state, so we have more people who are more prone to die from COVID. Um, But nevertheless, that doesn't change the fact that that number was very high. But the thing is, is that she had, she was unwilling to make the, the, the hard decisions. First of all, I think just for her own political standing here, but second of all, because she didn't want to go against Trump. You know, and we see that he has he has this magical power over so many Republicans, you know, and and to the point that she shows up at a rally at the airport for him. No masks. She doesn't wear a mask. um, You know, it's, it's just ludicrous. And so you can't keep schools open if you don't have staff to staff them. You can't. Yeah, she can talk about how many hospital beds there are still open in, in Iowa, but if you don't have any nurses for them, they're not open. Yeah. they're just sitting there, and you can't fill them. So what? So what, the goal should. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to switch gears. Then I mean, what what about her eagerness to sign on to the uh, lawsuit filed by the Texas oh. Secretary of State? Texas, uh, t- sorry, Texas Attorney General.
3: Yeah, just pathetic. I mean, you know, as 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 that that. That publicity stunt because it wasn't really a lawsuit. The Supreme
0: Court sure rejected it quickly.
3: Well, it rejected it quickly because it had such statements which have nothing to do with the constitutionality of the election, such as that the odds of Biden winning the four swing states was one in a quadrillion. Okay. Yeah, that Who was, that was, that was actually in
0: from? the lawsuit.
3: That was in the lawsuit. Did they provide the right. did, they, did they
0: provide the mathematical formula on how they came to that? No, thing? they did
3: not. Oh, they gosh. did not. That was also, you know, followed by that they pointed out that no one, no presidential candidate who's won Ohio and Florida has ever lost the election. Since this is a Trump, you know, effort, of course it's not true because Nixon won both and lost Kennedy in nineteen sixty.
0: Right, and that's pretty. But that's pretty anecdotal.
3: Right, but neither neither of those are even arguments for why the Supreme Court should have taken the case. So it, it was it was it was a it was a publicity stunt meant to show fealty to President Trump. Many people thinking that the Texas AG brought it because he's under investigation by the feds for bribery, um, <laughs> and of course he's looking for a pardon on you know from Trump on the way out. So it was a total, that was an embarrassment. And the only reason that she didn't embarrass our state was that evidently no one asked her to uh, join in. This is what she said in the paper. But she said she would have if they had asked.
0: Well, they didn't ask um, because Tom Miller would uh, not have agreed to do it.
3: Well, they, but, but remember, yeah, he wouldn't have agreed to it. But the, you know, they, the agreement they made was that he wouldn't. Do anything without her permission. It's a real question: Is it what she going to do something? That,
0: that has got to be one of one of the, one of the worst. has got to be one of the worst political agreements ever. For the Attorney General of Iowa to say, "Okay, uh, if you veto this legislation, I don't like you. Get to have veto power over every single uh, case that I might think of getting involved with that involves an interstate, you know, interstate lawsuit." I mean that. Right. Talk talk about
3: um. Talk about uh, losing that gambit. <laughs> That's like... Well, but, but this, is, this is what we've come to, which is that we, we, we had four years of administration in which, you know, abject loyalty was the only criteria for you being a member of the administration. You know, they purged anybody who disagreed with the president. Yeah. And, uh, or they left because, you know, they just couldn't take it. And then, let's face it, the Justice Department in the United States is supposed to be the people's attorney, Right. Right. They're supposed to be independent. That's the whole point. And of course, Bill Barr turned it into nothing but another Trump uh, hired corporation. But even you know, but even
0: Barr even Barr admitted that there was uh, no indication of serious uh, corruption I mean, in the election. It,
3: it 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 was it's an embarrassment to have been involved with that. Uh, you know, there, there have been some who've written that the hundred and something Republicans House members who signed on to that should not be seated. Uh, in when January comes, because they have violated, you know, was it the twelfth or the fourteenth. I think it's maybe the Fourteenth Amendment, which is that you can't engage in sedition against the United States government and be a president or a member of the Senate or the House of Representatives.
0: Well, that that would open um, that would open up a lot of potential seats.
3: Right, exactly, you know. But this is this is what we've come to, and it's it's this it's this absolute fear these Republicans have that oh my God. Trump might tweet badly about me, and then I'm going to have to run against somebody who's a member of the Proud Boys or QAnon you know, in the primary. I mean, see, the one thing Trump said, I remember when you and I saw him, you know, before, when, when he was just one of the candidates. And, and I, you know, I, I, I said to you, you know, he kind of understands something, which is that politicians are cowards. And he knew that no matter what he said to them, that if he were in the position of being the candidate, that they would all bow at his feet, and he was absolutely right. I mean, Ted Cruz was supposedly volunteering to be the lead attorney if this case ever got taken by the Supreme Court.
0: Yeah, I know, and and, and people might remember how caustic the relationship between Cruz and Trump was back in 2015.
3: Well, he told, don't you remember, he he called him lying Ted, which is, of course, true, but... um, You know, he, he, he said that Cruz's father was, was involved in the Kennedy assassination. So, and then he insulted <laughs> his wife. <laughs>
0: right. Lots of evidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. So, oh, my. I mean, this is, this, we, we don't have exact profiles and courage among our politicians anymore. It goes back to just what we were talking about in the previous segment. Someone needs to have the courage to stand up and say, I really don't care if you disagree with me, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you that the stock market doesn't, is not an indicator of the economy in the United States. I'm going to tell you that rich people are way too rich right now, and they have done nothing to justify why they make thousands of times more than their workers.
0: And your challenge to politicians to tell the truth is a bipartisan challenge, I believe.
3: No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it doesn't mean you stand up there and call everybody a racist because they don't agree with you. You know, or because they, they don't accept lock, stock, and bow everything you say. You know, and we've talked about it before. People, There are people in this country who, in good conscience, believe that abortion should not be legal. Okay? That doesn't make them, you know, Neanderthals. You need Politics is supposed to be about convincing people, not trying to just run right over them and expect that they're going to vote for you. Because really, who's... Who is at this point is saving the Democratic Party? It's people in the suburbs of the same big cities, you know, that have generally been their strongholds. But yeah. you and I both know when you look at the map, you've got nothing but red in the majority of the geographical area of the United States. You've got a state like Montana that used to be a populist Democratic state from top to bottom, not a single Democrat, yeah. except for the governor at this point.
0: Yeah.
3: It's, Charles, it's, I got to run to they, a you know, break.
0: Um we could talk about this a lot more, I think. Uh, <laughs> hey, um, Charles Golbin. Charles, sorry, folks. Charles Goldman has been with us. We'll be back in a minute. We're going to be talking about uh, Charles. You'll like this one. Um, how an anti-meat crusade has also become an anti-local foods crusade. Back in a minute on the oh, Fallon I, Forum. will
3: definitely have to listen to that one. All I'm right. Sure.
0: <laughs> 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 back in a minute, folks. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
2: At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, Well, if you've got an elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Kim Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766.
0: Uh, hey, before we launch into our conversation, I'd like to thank uh, some of our sponsors including Story County Veterinary Clinic. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience caring for all creatures great and small. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or just call Dr. Holding at 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Support for this program also provided by Birds and Bees Urban Farm offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Local food security is becoming more and more important, both to urban and rural residents. You can get information at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, so to be clear about this, folks, I greatly appreciate my friends who are vegan or vegetarian or even those on a raw food diet. Actually, I think I just have one friend on a raw food diet. But, uh, you know, these folks, you know, you, you guys care. You all care about uh, eating, about food. I appreciate that. That's really, really important. It's so much more important than ignoring your health, your well-being, and just eating a, a horrible burger at McDonald's. We'll just say that. So, you know, but, but just like, you know, I and I think most people don't, don't we, we don't appreciate being evangelized by religious fanatics. Most people don't. I think most of us, more and more of us, don't appreciate being evangelized by dietary fanatics either. And I, and again, most of my vegan and vegetarian friends don't cram it down my throat, but uh, it happens often enough that I'm speaking about it. And you know, and I say this as a former vegetarian, you know, I was inspired, like a lot of people back in the 70s and 80s, by Francis Moore Lappe's uh, Diet for a Small Planet. In fact, that inspired me to be a vegetarian for four years. In fact, I met Frances Moore Lappe at a talk she gave in Dublin. Now, I gave up being a vegetarian after I moved to a Ojibwe reservation in Wisconsin and learned a different attitude and demeanor toward meat. That's another story. But, you know, and again, most of my vegan and veg and raw food friends are very accepting of us omnivores. But I'm, I'm often called out at talks, for example, in response to my book or other writings or my talk show, uh, by, again, people who tell me that I really don't care about climate change if I eat meat and animal products. And uh, <laughs> it just, well, uh, according to what I just learned this week, it, it got a little worse. I just found a, quote, study that will give those fanatics more fodder because it's, uh, it's, it's an article by Hannah Ritchie. I don't know Hannah Ritchie. Maybe a great person. But the, the research, it's one of those pieces of research where you got your conclusion and then you find the evidence to make sure your conclusion makes a lot of sense. Because the conclusion is that, and this is a quote, you want to reduce the carbon footprint of your food? Focus on what you eat, not whether your food is local. And of course, as you read into it, you realize that the, the, the evil food is meat and dairy and anything from an animal, probably honey as well. So the, um, the study says, and I'll quote, this is a quote, The study estimates that importing Spanish lettuce to the United Kingdom during winter is three to eight times lower emissions than producing it locally. The same applies to other foods. Tomatoes produced in greenhouses in Sweden use 10 times as much energy as importing tomatoes from Southern Europe when they were in season. Okay, so the message there, of course, is Better to get your produce from big commercial farms in other countries than to support your local farmer. I mean that is just so wrong on so many levels. And you know on the on the climate level, I mean I challenge anybody to look at what some of us urban farmers are doing and tell me that this is not sustainable. That this is not the lowest possible carbon footprint you can possibly come up with. I challenge anyone, you know, you know get get your biased research out of the way, you know, get over that and come show me how people doing urban agriculture on a sustainable, low scale, you know, um, small scale, low intensity level are not better stewards of the climate and the environment than a big industrial farm shipping tomatoes from Spain or lettuce from uh, lettuce, I guess, I guess tomatoes from Southern Europe to Sweden in this example, or, you know, or from Spain to the UK, you know, it just boggles my mind that you can do that kind of research and have any credibility. I'm sorry. There's, and I got, you know, it's, of course, it's a long study. It's got, it's got lots of, um, lots of uh, professional notations behind it and whatnot. But, you know, and and I, 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 I'll admit that I haven't had time and nor do I have desire to read through the entire thing. But I mean, the premise itself is just so flawed. There's, there's no way you can talk about shipping, and again, it's not, it's not just shipping. It's it's all the stuff that goes into it, and it's not just it's not just the you, you can't just factor in the impact on climate. You got to think about everything else, the impact on on the local water supply, critically important. The impact on on the workers. How many of those workers are, are making a decent wage? I mean, really? I mean, we know we know we know in this country, people who are doing you know, agricultural work at on industrial scale facilities are not making a decent wage. You know, so, but if you're your own boss, if you're your own farmer, uh, you know, whether you're, whether you're doing meat, dairy, vegetables, whatever it is, you know, not only are you, are you producing a product that I think people should feel really good about, but you're, 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 you're making, you're making a living doing something you love. And if you, ideally, if you do hire people, you're paying them a decent wage. You know, I, again, I, I just, uh, I, I'm shocked by some of the extent to which people are willing to go to justify uh, their preference. And again, I don't fault anybody for being a vegan. I think it's a great idea. If you want to do that, go for it. Uh, I do think that there are some myths that need to be shattered. One, for example, almond milk. You know, don't try to tell me that all, almond milk is more environmentally friendly than a local dairy. Uh, <laughs> because that dairy cow... Is, um, is eating grass, um, fertilizing the land, enriching the land. Uh, that um, almond milk is probably from almonds on a huge operation in California using incredible quantities of water and lots of pesticides, probably. I know that maybe there, maybe there's some organic al- almond milk out there. I, that could be. I'm not aware of that. But I also know as a beekeeper that a lot of bees end up being hauled down to almond groves I, I think they're groves not orchards right anyway almond industrial almond operations we'll call them that and um that's not particularly good for the bees either um but you know it's one way that beekeepers can make make some money so you know i just um all right i i have a i have a confession to make i once attended an animal rights action i was living in northern wisconsin actually uh this is just before i moved to the uh, Ojibwe. No, actually it was right after I, I had moved to the Ojibwe reservation in Redcliffe. And I can't remember how I got interested in this, but the, the, the person who presented it to me, I thought raised a legitimate concern about animals being abused for testing in laboratories at the university, um, in Madison, Wisconsin. So I hopped on a bus and it was a long ride, uh, too long. And, uh, the first, the first, um, red flag I had was when the person who organized the trip got up in front of the bus and was in tears as she talked about a goat that this guy had shot, uh, because he was mad at his wife. He went out and he shot the goat. And she said, she was in tears. And she said, if he was mad at her, he should have shot her, not the goat. And I was like, what, (laughs) what did you just say? And, uh, oh, here I am. So uh, we're off to the rally. And, um, there were a couple people. I think there were students from the university protesting the uh, protest. <laughs> they were they were objecting to the protest, and one of them was dressed as um, an earthworm, the other was dressed as a fruit fly, and they held signs saying "Stop fruit fly torture," "Stop earthworm torture," and their point was, it's easy for people to get upset about guinea pigs or cats or or rats even or or animals that we can kind of relate to. Uh, getting used in experiments. And I, I don't doubt that there are excessive experiments happening at these universities. I don't doubt that for a minute. But these two students made a good point. We don't get at all upset about earthworms or, <laughs> or fruit flies. You know, so I, I came back from that protest, um, kind of converted to the other side. Although I do, again, I, I do think that there's probably a overkill. I do remember, I remember in high school, wondering why every student at the school I went to had to be given a dead cat and a dead shark and one other dead thing to, uh, to dissect I, and, and most, of, most of those kids I had no clue what they were doing, present company included uh, and I had to wonder why are we doing this and is this not a waste? So I do see the point but I came back from that feeling, okay, uh, there's a lot more to this than, <laughs> than, uh, than, than the wrongness of certain animals being used for testing and to develop drugs. Sometimes that can be a very good thing. Anyway, so um, you know, I gotta admit this too, that I used to enjoy having the religious fanatics come to my door because I would just I was a religion major, so I could I could dig into all sorts of things that they had no idea about. It was it was probably it probably makes me a bad person, but I, I just would love to show them why a lot of their Premises were wrong. I would get out my Bible. I would get out the Hebrew Bible. I would start reading to them in Hebrew. They couldn't. They couldn't wait to get away from me. But um, I, I, you know, I never liked having religious fanatics come to my door, uh, except for the, the the intent of having some fun with them. But I, you know, I I gotta tell you. I think I would almost rather have a religious fanatic show up at my door than a vegan fanatic. Um, and again, I respect my friends who have deep-seated religious beliefs and my friends who have deep-seated dietary beliefs. What I don't like is being told that mine are wrong. That gets old really fast, and maybe you can tell by the way I've conducted the conversation in this segment of our program. That's all I'm going to say about that, folks. Um, We're going to come back from a short break, and Kathy Burns is going to join us. You know, it's that time of the year where we think about New Year's. Maybe some of you like resolutions. I used to do way too many of them and never get them all accomplished. But uh, yeah, Kathy's got a New Year's resolution. Maybe she can share it with you. Maybe you'll like it well enough to consider taking a shot at a New Year's resolution yourself. Anyway, uh, back in a minute here on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design build services for high-performance, no-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. They've been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yep, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's Architecture by
1: Synthesis. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the heart of the heartland. So, hey, thanks to our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store, and you can get uh, lunch and supper there seven days a week, and you can get breakfast nowadays on the weekends. Check them out, folks. Gateway Marketing Cafe, located on ML King and Woodland in the Sherman Hill neighborhood of Des Moines. All right, welcome back to the program. Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm with us as we talk about um, New Year's resolutions. Uh, Kathy, I believe, has one relevant to wasting less and wanting less.
2: Well, Happy New Year. Or
0: you're recommending that for me or for yeah. everyone else? <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> right. And, um, and it is a Happy New Year. You know, a lot of people are saying, Woo! Meaning we're happy the 2020 is over, right? That's what people are saying. Uh, yeah. It was a tough year and we have a lot of, uh, a lot a lot to go through in this year. I
0: resolved never to live through a pandemic again. had <laughs> <No.
2: laughs> we had our, we had our um, lifetime of pandemic mm. in one year I guess. yeah nothing to joke about so we're, many yeah, so we're many, still everybody knows it.
0: somebody who has contracted the disease and or died from it. Yeah you
2: know? yeah um, it's been a hard one. But uh, in the new year, and we, we work on this continually, but I think we can do even better that's just to waste waste less and then when you waste less you find that you have more of what you do need uh, so waste less want less is is my New year's resolution to try to get better and better at that uh, I, I
0: usually make mine on December 31st and then I you know I used to I used to actually come up with 20 resolutions when I was younger and more foolish uh, I, w- I would come up with like like 20 resolutions and they.
2: Maybe you needed them
0: more. Well, I might have needed them more, but I, I you know, you can't, we can't manage twenty new things you want to do in a given year.
2: You've always been ambitious.
0: Yeah. Well, I know, but uh, twenty was too much. I've narrowed it down to five. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll do two of this next year.
2: Okay. <laughs> um, I can't wait to hear what they are.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, I, I might tell you. <laughs> okay. Um, so, why are you choosing this one?
2: Because. Because it bothers me to see how much goes to waste, and we were just emptying the the recycle and the garbage the other day. And you said, in an ideal world, we wouldn't put anything in the garbage. We wouldn't put anything in the recycling. Uh, not that recycling is bad, but reducing well, use is the best thing.
0: Recycling is not all it's cracked up to be. It's it's a major industry, and there's a lot of energy used and a mm-hmm. lot of waste involved in recycling. Right. You know, uh,
2: a, a current statistic. I'm sorry, I can't cite the source I'm you know but it sounds like in America we're still throwing away about 80 billion pounds of food every year 80, 80 billion. billion that's the same as 1,000 empire state buildings so which you
0: can't eat of course
2: well and some of that's well, thrown away <laughs> uh, you know while it's being farmed yeah I, mean, I, mean, I waste. meant the empire state building oh. you
0: can't eat that uh, you know <laughs>
2: Yeah. Well, if you ground it up very finely. Yeah, but no, most
0: of that waste you probably could eat if you had better planning right. or if you didn't order too much at the restaurant. Restaurant is yeah. a big
2: source of that. We had a segment uh, on the Fallon Forum about a year ago about mm. all the food waste in America, and the restaurant waste was huge. Well, and some but of it is personal, restaurants
0: give you too much food. They so do. Sometimes the servings are just too big.
2: We share servings a lot. Sometimes, that's a yeah. That's a tip. But if you think about what is wasted uh, every year, um, you, there's, there are just many opportunities to use. us. And we're not just talking about food, but food in particular, uh, some little some little tricks that I've started to incorporate. Uh, I did in 2020, I started to incorporate these, and I'm going to continue. Um, I've always saved bones from pork chops, lamb chops, uh, roasts. Just, Just have a baggie in the freezer and just save those bones and then use them to make stock. You mm-hmm. don't need to go buy a can of beef stock at the store you can hmm. save those save those bones and then even when i'm making a lentil dish or something i'll throw a lamb chop bone in there just for flavor and then i'll pick the rest of the meat off and then the rest can go to the compost or the chickens when it's done
0: well the, the, the bones don't compost very well uh no, that's true <laughs> but the chickens sure love uh, digging every little last scrap of meat off the bone and even poking into the marrow if they get that you know yeah. but yeah. but no that's that's really i i've uh, and i'll tell you the um the soups you have made with those salvaged uh, uh, bones have been delicious. And the other thing you salvaged that I wasn't even aware you could you do the, the the little tops and bits and pieces of carrots and and
2: keep a, onions and yeah. everything
0: else. Apparently that makes pretty good vegetable broth. Te-
2: keep take one of your plastic bags that you've already used or that somebody gave you one that you
0: got that, from a tree that yeah,
2: no okay. well this is a ziploc oh, okay. this is a freezer a <laughs> I'll freezer get I'll is- get
0: off the plastic bags and trees thing and <laughs> as, that's, about my, new, that's my new that's my new resolution is to get off of the thing <laughs> this is this thing about plastic bags up in trees people over. should climb up there to get their exercise while they get the bag out of the tree anyway. well
2: take take either a ziploc bag that you've already used and then you're going to keep using it and using it and or a container whatever way you Store things in your freezer, and just write on it or put a piece of tape and write "veggie scraps." And when you are getting carrots ready to go uh, into your soups or stews, or if you're preparing turnips for turnip puff or roast turnips that we talked about the other week, uh, any little scrap of a veggie like that, just if it's if it's not dirty and if it's an edible part, toss it into your veggie scrap bag, and when it's full you just bring that to a slow boil and then simmer it until you have a beautiful veggie broth
0: yeah i tasted some of that veggie broth a couple of weeks ago it was very good it and I, good. I never thought about saving those scraps now the chickens are unhappy about this <laughs> cuz they like to think that those scraps are part of the part of their quota yeah, and it's it may no, even be in their contract. True. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but they can't read, so we're okay. They're listed
2: as team members on our Birds and Bees Urban Farm yeah. website. So I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't aware of the contract part. That might no. be a business end thing that you've taken care of. I, yeah, I don't know, verbal agreement. <laughs> well, they have verbal agreement. <laughs> well, they don't really like the turnip root. So <clears throat> when when you true. take a turnip and you cut the top off, they they can pick around at the top because the green is there, and you don't necessarily want the whole top part of that, but all the roots you can save, and they—they they don't really like the roots too much. They do like carrot roots and peels. They'll poke around at it, you know. Yeah, but, um, gar- but again, the th- tip of a piece of garlic. When when you pick parsley off your parsley stems because um, you don't want to put the parsley stems into whatever mm, food you're making. Right. Throw the parsley stem in your scrap bag. Throw the uh, fennel stem in your scrap bag.
0: Or thyme. You, you thyme. pick the little leaves off the thyme right. branch. Yeah. Right, okay. because
2: those simmer out and they make a delicious flavor. Right. I know, I'm going to use that veggie broth for like a risotto okay. or something, when we have our vegan friends over. So
0: now that we're all wasting less and wanting less food, um, well, I'm not sure we're wanting less, but we're wasting less, what well, else do, what else do we have to think about in the new what what are, what, are the, what else is part of your resolution consideration?
2: Well, we already do it, but we could do more. Um, leaves from the yard. we don't We don't put them in bags to have the city take away. We use them for compost, as you know. And you took it a step further, and before our first snow, before there was a, there was a chance for any ice or ice melt or anything to get put on those leaves, you raked them up and used them in compost and mulching for the garden beds.
0: Well, what works really well, actually, is throwing those leaves into the chicken pan where they become bedding mm-hmm. uh, and a source of food. The chickens poke around. They find a bug here and there. They find some seeds. Mm-hmm. Who knows what else they find in Sometimes there? Sometimes I poke
2: around for bugs and <laughs> seeds. <laughs> All too. right, I'll
0: pretend I didn't know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, uh, and they also they also leave their droppings on the leaves. And then so, you know, two, four, three, two, two, three, four, five weeks later, I'm putting those into compost bins, mm-hmm. and those bins get up to 140 to 162 degrees. Now they, that's cooking. That's cooking, and that's killing pathogens. It's killing, mm-hmm. uh, it's killing blight. It's killing uh, wheat seed. It's uh, it's it's perfect temperature for compost.
2: Speaking of cooking, we also have been saving wood that falls down from trees in the yard. We had a derecho in 2020 so um there was scrap wood and twigs and things and and you do a lot of outside cooking on the grill with wood and yeah. there's no need to toss that um if if you have a friend with a wood stove of course they would be happy to have any downed wood that you would have yeah
0: now the um the little the little weber grill which is about what little over 12 inches across at the, the top it's uh, you know you got to cut your wood up fairly small but it doesn't take much wood to cook a, a full meal. I mean, I don't. We don't just grill meat on that grill. We we boil potatoes. We saute vegetables. We um, we, uh, no, we we fry bread. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and of course, we do. We do grill, you know, meat as well. But you can do all that. You can do like three or four different things on one grill for one meal with an amazingly small amount of wood. That's been our problem, actually. Is uh, especially since the derecho, is we um, we have we have more wood than we can. We're gonna have to be cooking outside a lot more mm-hmm. often. And I know there's there's the smoke issue. Well, part of the challenge is learning how to cook with as little smoke mm-hmm. as possible. Learning how to build a fire with as little smoke as possible. But the other thing is uh, to know that w- wood is uh, wood is um, captured carbon, and that carbon is gonna it's sequestered in the wood. It's gonna be released one way or the other, whether that wood rots or burns. It's going to be released. Now, of course, the, the downside with cooking with the wood is you do create some smoke, even if it's a little. Oh, but, you know, it's to me, it's I feel a lot better about that than turning on the gas stove, knowing where that gas has come from. Mm-hmm. Although we, of course, can't cook on wood all the time. But with as much as we have from the derecho and just general growth on the property, and we're looking at, what, an eighth of an acre. It's not a lot. We probably have enough to cook a lot of meals. Mm-hmm. You know, every, every, every week we could probably grill, you know, five, six, seven times and still have plenty of wood. Yeah. So,
2: well, how about those plastic containers that food comes in too? Those are something to, you know, yeah. just don't throw those out. We yeah. use them for planting.
0: Yep, we do. We use them for planting and, uh, and sometimes storage.
2: Sometimes. no. Yeah.
0: And also for labels. <laughs> we make labels from yeah, yo- yogurt, yogurt containers, containers. For, for, uh, for different seed trays. Seedings. Hey, Kathy, thanks for joining us today, and thanks, folks, for being a part of the program. Uh, thanks to our guests uh, and to, um, and to uh, Kathy Burns and Sherry Hardina for helping to produce this program. Um, again, in re- regards to our guests, that would be Hannah Bacon walking across the country and Charles Goldman. Uh, again, appreciate your support of the Fallon Forum. We'll catch you next week.